big issue, if things aren't really spelled out in a very clear and concise manner, then, you know, what ends up happening is uh, a lot of times a lot of assumptions are made and, you know, someone kind of glosses over something and says something to the effect of, I, I kind of works this way and you, you think you understand and then you get into it, it's, it's time to implement and go live and you're like, whoa, we were way off base with this. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate I. Most people don't understand the importance of requirements management when it comes to ERP. ERP should be as easy as dumping your excuse customers and vendors inside the ERP. And that's it, right? Well, the ERP system could quickly become the black box, similar to the tribal knowledge sitting in people's heads. So what are the best practices for managing ERP requirements and how to ensure that the critical decisions are well documented? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss ERP requirements management. We covered many grounds, including the importance of requirements management during the sales process and the impact it might have on the implementation. Finally, we discussed several other topics, such as how to do an ROI analysis, how to logically segment the requirements, and how to manage the requirements using a tool. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We take one topic related to digital transformation, and we always have an expert panel that is willing to share their insights and, and wisdom. For today, we are going to be talking about requests. And uh, that's extremely boring path that you have to take. And sometimes it may not be as fun because you don't know what the ROI is of that. Uh, but you will realize ROI if you skip that step and get to the production right away. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Uh, before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intro. And I am going to start with my intro. I am Sam Gupta. I am principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital uh, transformation consulting firm. I've been leading uh, ERP and digital transformation engagement for roughly 20 years and requirements management. Oh my goodness, it is always tough. On that note, I am going to start uh, with Chris for his intro. Hi, Sam. I'm Chris Giardini. I'm the CEO and owner of Turnkey Technologies. I've been implementing ERP, Microsoft Dynamics ERP solutions the past 30 years. And what a great topic and what an important topic. So look forward to the conversation, everybody. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Mark, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Be happy to, Sam. Uh, hello and uh, thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Mark Lilly. I'm president and CEO of Lillyworks. 
Um, we have a, a long history of helping manufacturers in particular uh, with ERP systems going back to uh, Profikey that was invented by our team, as well as visual manufacturing, now uh, visual ERP at Infor and, uh, and LilyWorks as well. So looking forward to this conversation quite a bit. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Mark. Uh, Dave, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Absolutely. I'm very happy to be here today, Sam. Um, good afternoon, everyone. My name is David Dozer. I'm the president of Blaze IT. We're a um, reseller of Acumatic ERP solutions, specializing in the manufacturing industry, and um, very excited about today's topic and, and digging into the exciting um, world of requirements gathering. <laughs> Appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. And uh, if you're in the audience uh, and listening to the show right now, make sure you guys comment questions. We typically cover the questions during the show. If we run out of time, we'll make sure that our panelists are going to get with you on your questions. On that note, I am going to start with the first question. And that is going to be, uh, Chris, I know that when we look at the requirements, I've seen both okay? uh, cases. Uh, and obviously, in some ecosystems, the requirements are literally part of your product, okay? And that's why, uh, you know, I am personally big fan of those because there is no way you can skip those things because it's built as part of But there are only few products that actually do that. In the case of ERP, we definitely need requirements. And I have seen, uh, you know, for example, let's say if you look at technical, so they typically skip the whole requirement phase, especially when it comes to new methodology called agile okay just agile means okay dump your requirement put it in software and let's see how that works uh, so on that note i'm going to start with you what has been your experience when you look at the overall you know requirement management how much requirement management and uh, what have you seen from that perspective sure i appreciate that sam so great topic and it's it's a hot topic in my organization as well since we're implementing these projects that take six months to nine months and you know as you think about it, you're going live and somebody says hey what about this and they're like oh forgot you imagine that right at go live at the 11th hour somebody pulls something out of the hat that's critical to the business and somebody forgot it right okay so where does it begin requirements document requirements documentation and management really begins in the sales process and you know if you think about how disconnected things are. And I think that's my peeve as, a, as an IT professional. And I'm looking at, okay, how do we get continuity from here all the way through the life cycle of the project? And what you're going to find is there's weakness out there. There's just not a lot of great places to do that. But, you know, what people are using Excel. But, again, you think about continuity from the sales process. And I run that for people. And you go back to requirements. And how are they defined? And do they make it into the contract? And a lot of times you get an RFP and then you get a contract. You're like, well, this is not embedded in this. <laughs> oh, you know, when I do that, I'm sorry, I'm going to throw myself under the bus. I'll respond to an RFP. They're like, are you addressing that requirement? I go, well, here's what we're going to do. And you're like, well, that's not exactly everything I need. Very interesting back and forth, but that's really early on in the process. And imagine the, the coaching to you is, yeah, get that stuff in your contract. I mean, I put in business processes, so that in essence is the, the scope. And so that's another word we're going to use, aka scope. And, you know, ERP, it's out of the box. You know, it should be finite. There's still gaps. People think, oh, I need all this. But capturing the gaps, capturing the requirements, capturing the nuances of the business narrative. And again, someone's got to do it on the front of the process. You got to make sure it gets in the contract. And then, okay, we win. Whole new team shows up. Did they get that data? So again, whose responsibility is it? And I'm just telling you, there's, there's breakdowns in the system. But as you hear me talk about early on and making sure that it gets in there and there's verification. So we're talking about the contract. Project starts. What's the tool to manage it? And this is where it gets more complex. And in my world, I'm frustrated because we use Excel. We have used Excel. And think about the the tracking. So if I have, let's just call it 100 requirements. You're thinking, eh, that's manageable. But there's 20 people on the team. 
six here, 14 over there. And guess what? Everybody's got opinions and ideas. So how do you, how do you collaborate on this 100 requirements? And then the evolution. How do you document the evolution? You think about changes and who said what and was it approved and who's approving it. So now you bring in workflow. Um, we're looking at tools to bring in tools just because my opinion is the Excel in the iterations on Excel where you're trying to track notes and comments where somebody's evolving this. It's not great because what happens in the end? Dispute, right? We got to the end of the project and, hey, you charged me a lot more money. Well, you asked for more stuff. Or is it documented? Or I forgot stuff. That's a bigger problem. Now you got to do it for free. Well, why? It's not like I did it in the first place, never charged for it. So think about that backside disputes and, and the disruption to the business because now we had a plan go live. Someone forgot something. It's critical. It costs money. Okay, so big iterations. I could talk on this a lot. You know, we're going we're gonna to have more discussion, but I'm going to start there because I think you think about workflow and approvals and documentation and specific tools. When you're doing development and the code and Stan's right about agile, they get in there. Ah, okay. Now what? Ah, and they're running. And then, and it's, it's, it's evolving. It's not finite. So it's a whole different, um, it's very hard to manage and control. So anyway, I'll let you redirect, Sam. Please. So very interesting commentary. And this is probably going to be a comment on the whole ERP community, to be honest. Okay. I don't know how many people are going to appreciate, but I'll still make it. Okay. So this is about the RFP comment that you made. And I have seen some really, really crazy RFP. And, you know, I would say 70-ish percent uh, ERP, RFP, when I look at that, almost seems like as if you never read the original requirements and you are responding to something that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's just some boilerplate, you know, it's just crazy. So, you know, that's when my experience seems like that's your experience. Now, when you get into the implementation phase, and that's where the churn starts, the, the, the bigger the project, the bigger the churn is going to be. Every meeting you are going, you have a new comment. Uh, you know, somebody says something, no, 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 back off, no, no, you need to go back. Then, uh, you know, so that happens a lot. And then you sort of get lost in the requirement, okay, what are we trying to do again after, you know, four months? So you mentioned that you typically manage that process through Excel. Uh, have you seen any other scenarios where you are simply getting lost with the requirement? Do you, do, have you found any other ways of tracking, you know, how to manage the, this meeting We're, after meeting and how to sort of freeze that? Yeah, we're looking at a new tool. So, you know, I don't know what to promote anybody's tool on the on the air here, but there's a new tool that we have that does just that, allows us to document the requirements, set up the contacts at the client side, at the partner side, and, and drive workflow and approvals and signatures so that we can evidence who approved something like that. And even as you generate change orders, of course, so it's a whole level of complexity that we don't do today. But And I think that's because of the disputes that we've ended up with at the end of the day. The documentation is not complete. We don't have date stamps. We don't have workflows. And so it's just awkward to coordinate. And that's it. It's awkward to coordinate people and to evidence it and to make sure that the right decisions are being made. Because sometimes you have people that aren't in authority to throw in things in there that aren't really important to the company. So I think that's important, too, is prioritizing. And But that management platform, and again, there are tools out there that are going to do that. And I think that it's imperative. And if your partner doesn't use one and you're doing a project, ask for it. That's part of the reason we're having the show is to tell you this is a this is a bomb and it, it shows up and nobody wins with that. So please, any other point? Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for the commentary. So I'm actually going to move to uh, Mark now. Mark, uh, so when we look at this whole requirement management, and sometimes I feel that, you know what, uh, maybe we are too tight. Uh, maybe we should be collaborating a lot more, okay? And then mm -hmm. I am actually going to go back to Chris's point that when it comes to the accountability, because everything has dollar attached to it, and when we talk about dollars, that's where, you know, it's not going to be a fun conversation <laughs> with anybody. Right. So until you are collaborating, you know, happy moment is great. 
But when you talk about the conversation, that's where uh, it gets tricky. And, you know, we have seen tools such as companies are promoting Eurowatt. Uh, software companies should be on Slack. They should not be on email. And as we all know that, Slack is not a documented proof as such, right? Uh, in email, at least you can go back, you can find, okay, who said what, and then you have some accountability there. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, when you look at the whole requirement piece, what do you typically see that is working? What do you typically see that is not working? I, I think um, to go back to one of Chris's points, it, it, it all has to start in the sales cycle. And the and I think the, and, and if you, anybody who's been through an, an ERP sales cycle, certainly the implementation, but the sales cycle too understands um, there's all sorts of different approaches by different organizations. Um, you know, some, some, ERP suppliers are just really eager to show their software. Um, others want to take a more methodical approach. Um, others may uh, suggest a, even a, a paid a consulting service to, um, to to put together an RFP. So if if there is a requirements list, if there's well there's there's an RFP and then there's requirements list, right? If there's an RFP, I think it's imperative to understand you know who who created that and what. What process did they go through to create it, right? Because um, I, um, I think probably if others on this panel have seen, you know, it may, maybe someone a selection consultant was hired, and uh, we we've seen some selection consultants who do really excellent due diligence, and they work with the client to walk through the procedures, and they understand, and they may start with the template, but they'll narrow that template down to what's important to the client, what what areas are going to be key, what, which ones apply and which don't. I mean, some of these templates start with, you know, 10,000 or more, you know, a spreadsheet of 10,000 or more items. It's crazy. It's it's the selection consultants. And there aren't many, but we've seen over time where, you know, it's you walk into one one sales cycle of a client, you see the template, you walk into the next one with the same consultant and it's just the same template. You know, it's been obvious that they haven't done their due diligence to really work with the client. In my experience, the, the best approach is for the, uh, whether it's the channel partner or the software supplier to themselves, because they're the ones who really know the business, in particular channel partner, who's, who's doing implementations or, or within their organization, their implementations, to meet with the client for and, and, and invest the time, whether it's a day on site, whether it's maybe multiple days on site, to do a discovery, to, to understand what the processes are, what's important to the client, what's not. Um, and, and that's a big thing too, because it's nice to have the full breadth of, of requirements that's necessary. But what's really important, especially when it comes to decision-making time, is, is which ones are most important, right? Because there's, there's so many, I mean, and again, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, right? But some you get if if there's somebody in the organization who just has to have a certain field and I don't know the purchasing module a certain way, right? And uh, and that's like the most critical item. Whereas you know there's some other functionality that's actually going to have more benefit to the business overall and help them grow. Then that that might be the criteria upon which you want to make the decision. Okay, amazing insights there. So obviously the sales cycle is important. Everything starts, uh, you know, from the sales cycle. And I have seen all kinds of sales cycle. In some cases, people are going to be super comprehensive. And sometimes they are worrying about things like, how do you process your Nobody cares for it, you know. The sales order is probably going to be similar. I mean, you know, there is not really a differentiator among the ERP system. 
sure, you may want to look at, okay, how is the overall feel of the system? But as such, that's not really the differentiator or the make or break for the implementation. So sales cycle, you know, in my experience, when I look at the implementation requirements, that's a different ballgame altogether because you have to use the system best. You know, mm-hmm. sales cycle is, is uh, sure, you know, uh, it's great, but I mean, that doesn't really speak for the implementation. So do you want to contrast the sales cycle with the implementation as well in terms of how the requirement gathering is going to be slightly more different? Because here you might have 10,000 line items, you know, they can lead to a lot of different functions. But when you actually go into the implementation, that's where you want to make sure that the system is working for the business, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think the same thing applies, right? So so the organizations that are aligned where where sales where where you have a sales handoff, right? You the sales or and maybe even the sales folks have brought in consultants in the sales cycle. I mean, because you're going to have to do the work in one one part or another, right? To do that that due diligence and walk through and understand what what the processes look look like, make sure the client understands where they want to go with the software and that's so yeah. Um, I would just reiterate, even if you're at the start or you know of the implementation is you you can't focus on everything right yeah you have a full a full erp to implement but what's what's important is that you know while you're in the weeds always remember that there's you know the top three or four items that we want to get out of this implementation how is the business performance going to improve by implementing these new processes that the software is going to support okay amazing thank you so much for those insights mark so i'm actually going to come to dave uh dave from your experience i mean uh, you know, when you look at the larger implementation, the requirement management becomes very, very, very complex. Uh, and you have to have very uh, disciplined approach uh, overall in terms of how you manage the requirement because you have to deal with a lot more politics, to be honest. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. They are always fighting, okay? In the smaller <laughs> space, it might be slightly easier. So I don't know. When you go from implementation one to implementation two, have you seen any sort of best practices that you, uh, you know, follow that, okay, you did implementation one, you know, you weren't happy with that because something didn't go right. And then you sort of tailored the process in the implementation. So what has been your experience overall from the requirement management perspective? Yeah, it's it's definitely an iterative process. And, you know, just from a, a reseller standpoint, I think it's something that we're even constantly learning and getting better at and figuring out the appropriate way to to manage it. Because one of the big kind of issues, for lack of a better term, I think that, that I've run into through the course of my career is, you know, anytime you're really talking about requirements, even when you have a defined list, if it's the, the 10,000 things, or especially as you get into the implementation and you're getting into, you know, that specific field that purchasing needs, or, you know, on the sales order side, we need this very specific flow. You're still at the end of the day communicating and, and dealing with people, talking to people. So, the the big issue if things aren't really spelled out in a very clear and concise manner then you know what ends up happening is uh, a lot of times a lot of assumptions are made and you know someone kind of glosses over something and says something to the effect of you know i i kind of works this way and you, you think you understand and then you get into it's it's time to implement and go live and you're like whoa we were way off base with this so you know it's really about getting very detailed keeping that list of requirements, making sure you're checking them off um, as you're going through that implementation process down down to a field level, down to a process level, and, you know, really understanding that that everything is totally covered. Okay, very interesting. So when you capture these requirements, I mean, there are always going to be different perspectives of the requirements as well. For example, 
let's say if you are dealing with an executive who has never implemented any ERP system, they will not know how to get into the details. For them, you know, I'm looking for my sales report. Technical people, you figure it out. <laughs> you know, right. if you give them too much information, <laughs> it's just too much information for them. But in their head, they are thinking, this is what I'm expecting. They are never going to narrate that. So how do you overcome that barrier that, okay, this guy is something, you know, he or she is expecting something in their head. They just don't know how to articulate it, okay? And, and, and then you have to deal with it. How would you deal with it? Exactly. And that's really when it's up to us from a consultative side to, you know, have that really detailed list and, and really kind of have the, the people skills in that sense to go through and make sure that we're kind of pulling. Like sometimes it, it's not a, a push type of conversation. You know, you kind of have to pull the information out and, you know, having that set of questions going back to having lived it, having that experience and knowing exactly what to ask, really kind of deep diving before you even get into anything technical and, you know, saying, hey, what about this? What about this? You know, do you need to see sales this way? Do you need to see, you know, sales by salesperson? Because it is very different by organization. So you've got to ask those questions as you're getting into those detailed requirements and then document all of that. So through the process, you, you have the information you need to, to effectively implement. Okay, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Ebu, I'm actually going to come to you. And obviously, I want you to introduce because, uh, you know, you could not introduce before. But the question I'm going to have for you is going to be when you are working with these executives. And sometimes ERP implementation, as you know, how much attention you are going to require. It's really a commitment. And when you are doing the requirement gathering and the executive goes like this, okay, the phone. They are just playing on the phone and you know how that requirement discovery is going to be. And I'm like, okay, why am I here? Why am I working with this customer? It's not going to go very well. So introduce yourself and, uh, you know, tell us how do you deal with these and people don't uh, know what is important in the Sure. Um, my name is Abu. Uh, I'm founder and president uh, here at Panny Management Tech Corp. We're based out of here at Calgary. Um, you know, we are sellers for Sage X3. Uh, we provide services in food distribution, chemical, manufacturing, you name it, and you know, been around for 10 years. So requirement management, you know, that's that's a complex topic, right? It's people, what they do their PhDs in requirement management, right? And then they will do their PhDs in how to elicit requirements, right? The exact issue that you are talking about. And what we have found is you can spend as many hours as you want on requirement management, you know, trying to elicit it, there's still something going to be, you know, if, if it's not missed, that's, you know, then, you know, I think there's a problem, right? We have missed something really big. <laughs> so, so that's my, the approach that we take. So, I mean, it's, I mean, what we try to do in a best practice is, you know, people have short attention spans. You know, one thing that really makes a difference is, you know, the person who's asking the requirement, right? What is the experience that person has in the industry, right? So if you're talking to a food and beverage CFO, for example, is the person asking the requirements, can he ask the right questions, right? Uh, that, you know, that food and beverage CF would be thinking. So as a first step, you really have to put yourself in their shoes and think as a CFO, what would you be needing, right? And that only comes from experience in that field. Um, so that would be step one. I mean, the other would be what we have found is you can spend, after a certain time, there are diminishing returns on how much time you want to spend requirements, right? So what we typically propose a more of a you know mix of waterfall um, and agile methodology so you know you try spend some time you know if you put in the right resource to ask the right questions gather that basic core set of requirements and then you run that agile kind of process in the testing phase right you show them the first output 
feel what's missing and then you figure it out right the incremental requirements if you try to capture all the hundred requirements in exactly the same detail in exactly the same way the other person is thinking you know i'll say good luck right it's it's never the same right so you ask the requirement you understand it a certain way then you give it to the developer he understands it a certain way you know he may be a lead developer he gives it down the line to some other person and you know by the time you know he says she says you know the story is uh, radically different right so what we propose is have a core set of requirements build those and then build it incrementally in the testing phases okay amazing insights here so you know we are going to cover this question from the audience and uh, i mean uh, uh, i want you to cover this so i'm actually going to read out for the audience so that they understand what we are talking about here here we have the comment it says i have seen some misuse of the phrase high priority and i could not agree yes mm-hmm. uh, out in the wild which is applicable here i have heard well they are all high priority yes they definitely are uh, there is nothing low priority oh that's not how priority works exactly priority is literally ranking things uh, it's often imp- impossible to get traction forward if you can't get people to actually agree that well okay x actually is more important than y the real priority for them drive compromise and you know again i don't know what comment you are going to have but as soon as you actually bring the dollar then everything becomes low priority to be honest yeah. <laughs> and i like that binary <laughs> discussion yeah i think uh, i mean uh, i mean it's, it's not that hard to classify right i mean so the first thing is you ask the business you know if you do not have this on day 1 what's going to happen to the business right is your business going to stop probably not right is you, are you going to lose a customer because of that requirement probably not right so if you look at it from that perspective you know it becomes you know really easy to qualify it right and then once you start putting the dollar figures right then you can really see the correlation right if i don't spend the dollar am i losing anything probably not right or if you if you don't have this then you're going to lose a customer or you're going to shut down for two days or you cannot do provide customer service for three days right so that's how we try to prioritize things uh, rather than trying to drive a compromise you know we let them make the decision how are you going you know how does this requirement reflect your business right? and that's what we found really helpful in uh, driving that list okay amazing thank you so much ebu uh, for those insights so chris i'm actually going to come to you and uh, the question is going to be about dollars obviously and dollars is where the fun is right and uh, when you look at justifying the dollars for the requirements has been uh in my case whenever i go and you are talking to marketers they are going to have a million ideas to be honest and they have no idea <laughs> how to cost that sales and marketing they always like i want to do this i want to do that and then you ask them okay justify that uh, it becomes real challenge for them and after that you know they don't want to do any so in your case when you are trying to justify the roi what are some of the best practices that you have seen uh, when it comes to requirement management yeah i think that is uh, as you outlined it and i had an example just last night they said could you pull quality out of the proposal and we're like okay so you want to pull quality out and you're like what's the value of pulling quality out where it's an in-stream manufacturing process and you you question the rationale but there's a perfect example where you know we're working in a very detailed pre-sales project plan that articulates scope and again you're trying to take some scope out and as you rationalize the impact of taking scope out they want to buy a QMS system and then build a ton of integration which is going to cost i think they pulled 24 grand in services out to save and it's in the license so but to put another $150,000 in a third party system well there's a perfect example of of looking at requirements that may be natively served out of the system you're considering versus a third party product i mean that's one example but i think you're right how do you how do you uh, associate a value 
to each of these requirements. And I think, you know, Mark made a great point. You know, the 3,000, 10,000 requirements, it's blur. Nobody knows what's important. I mean, the, the, the person who chimed is totally accurate. And to boil down, and I think that's the comment to the audience, is, you know, be a little more reasonable and, and look at requirements like, okay, we need to be able to do an AP check. Great. Let's assume that most systems can do an AP check. And I think to boil it down and look at these what we call showstoppers, meaning they're really, you know, IP of the business. It's a, it's a secret process. It's a process that has a very effective result. Those are the things that you can't live without. Because to compromise that, you're compromising real revenue. But, you know, to, to be able to, to your point about an ROI, perfect example, an AP check, no big deal. I'll buy a new check stock. Not a big deal. No, it's got to look like this. Just move on. Those aren't the important factors. But as you get into those parts of the system that impact customers and the customer feels it, whether it's a portal, whether it's the way you can book a sales transaction, maybe it's the way you're maintaining price schedules, discounts, and things like that. So those are the requirements really bubble up and have more priorities and better ROI because you're impacting customer service, you're impacting customer experience, you're creating efficiency and interacting with customers. Those are all big things. Everybody's like, AP, nah, we can pay people. I'm being funny, but there's some truth to that. And even in manufacturing processes, that it's billing, it's manufacturing, it's normally that part of the business or projects where the really core requirements are. So like I said, part of that's prioritizing, but also what happens if we can't, if we can't do that? Well, you, maybe you can't even move to the new system. So that's a great example of bubbling them up. These are showstoppers, for example, and I think understanding showstoppers and what's next, and then there's the would-be nice stuff, and then there's parking lot. You guys you know what that means, parking lot? You put a lot of stuff. That's the wish list, but anyway, I hope that helps a little. No, it does. Thank you so much for that. And by the way, I mean, since you mentioned the, the rationale, and sometimes I'm just blown away based on the amount of requests that we get and the kind of requests that, and it's just fascinating that, you know, people just don't understand how these systems work. I'll give you an example. For example, let's say if you have a technical problem that you are trying to solve, good luck explaining that to your exact test. For example, let's say if you have multiple system in your architecture and you are sort of trying to maintain the data integrity, and they are only worried about, you know what, I have my marketing automation set on HubSpot. I'm looking for four fields. That's it, then give me the four fields. What's a big deal, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, no, 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 hold on. Okay, so you need to actually make sure that the systems are actually going to be talking to each other. You need to make sure the source of truth is going to be there. The information is going to be reliable. And then you can probably get that, right? So it's almost like you have to climb the mountain to get the dessert. And once you get there, then you probably have the uh, desserts lined up there, but you have to still climb the mountain. And, and they just don't get it. So in your experience, how do you explain the technical problems and when you are getting these sure. just unreasonable requests that, you know what, I want to break out the project and break out the project in like super illogical way. So, so different stakeholders, to your point, have different understandings, different perspectives. And I think as you go back to, you know, they got to deal with the finance guy, he's happy. He's not worried about the operation guy's problem. The operation guys are the crux of the business. And so to your point, you've got different stakeholders that have different priorities. And so as you go back to requirements, that's where it gets real contentious as to who's got authority to decide prioritization within an organization. That's kind of where you're driving at. It. And it's how do, you, how do you settle those disputes? You know, finance and operations are going to fight. You're smiling, Mark. I'm sure you know it. It is. It's like the operation guys are like, finance, like, we're great with QuickBooks. The operation guy goes, we're struggling. We can't do these things. And again, the expectation is to scale the business. So it still comes back to rationalizing what's it cost you in terms of future growth? And these are soft numbers if you can't do this. So amazing insight there. Thank you so much, Chris. So Mark, uh, I'm actually going to come to you and we are going to hammer this a little bit more since you were smiling, right? So I'm pretty sure you have some stories there that you might want to share. But overall, uh, you know, the conflict is one thing, okay? As long as the conflict is going to be 
reasonable, right? Sometimes you just get illogical requests that it's very, very, very hard to explain to executives why technical systems work in certain way and why you need to group certain requirements together for it to work. Otherwise, it's not even going to work. Uh, so have you seen anything similar in your experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think, um, you know, per what Chris was saying was that there's the, the classic and it's between a lot of different departments, but it's classic, you know, the finance and operations one. Um, and traditionally, it's, it's gotten better over the years, I think. But even, you know, when when we were younger, the, the finance folks were often the, the ones making making the decision. I think oftentimes you see them kind of leading a leading an implementation today, too. But, you know, to the to the detriment of maybe other folks in uh, a, a manufacturing environment, a manufacturing company, it, production is the, the heart of the system. Right. So. Um, you know, if the if the implementation requirements come down to, you know, how how many how many clicks does it take to process an AP voice, you know, right? Versus, you know, operations, do they do they even have what they need in terms of creating, you know, a structure for their product uh, in a, in a decent way? And, and I'm speaking, I think all all ARP systems have that today. It's more are are the services and the the, the proposal to and, and the whole implementation project and scope uh, of work is is that in there for those improvements to made improvements to make so when we're talking about ROI we folks often focus on cost savings right which is wonderful and then you want to look for those certainly but I think I am gonna um, kind of kind of re have a rebuttal on, on what you said Sam about about sales and marketing because yep. those are the folks who are going to drive and say hey hey if we if we had and again it, most ERP systems have the, this tremendous capability if we're actually able to utilize that and and be able to you know fill in the blank um, see opportunities for more revenue whether it's in a costing function be able to promise better lead times um, have better customer information and repeat business opportunities. You know, you can go through the whole list. Then you're talking about you know additive things, right? So now it's it's not so much how much are we going to save, and there are certainly those parameters, but more in terms of where are the opportunities for improvement. The fun part about that um, is that is that your opportunities for improvement is there's there's no ceiling, right? There the 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 potential improvement on those is infinite right whereas cost savings you can you can only cut so much right you can only save so much and not have either detrimental effects to the to the performance of the company the morale of the company or whatnot so um so i would say you know when you're looking at the requirements and you're and you're coming and you're configuring the roi for it definitely include uh those those uh, uh parameters where there are opportunities to improve and grow. And, and what if we could do these things? What if we could have this type of um, performance in the company? And, and that's going to motivate people, too. Again, when you're when you're stuck in the weeds and an implementation is hard, it's going to motivate them because they know ultimately they're driving some significant improvements um, when they when they come out of it six, nine months later. Okay, amazing insights, and I'm gonna have to tell you this, Mark. Okay, you have really, you know, pressed the hot button right now because nobody challenges uh, Sam on this show. So <laughs> let's uh -oh. talk about, you know, sales and marketing one, right? So sales and marketing, when you are talking about, you know, obviously they are going to have business dreams, uh, and it's really, really hard for them to justify the ROI. It just they just don't have that, you know, uh, capability to do sort of the PNL as your finance folks are going to be able to do. 
So in your experience, we all know that ERP brings a lot of value, okay? But to get there, you have to spend two years, one year, whatever timeline, and that's a dark, lonely, depressing road that <laughs> everybody has to walk. And sometimes it becomes very, very, very challenging to convince how you are going to get value from each of the line items, especially if you are nitpicking. Okay, what is my ROI on this yeah. line item? What is my... <laughs> right. It could right. be really hard. So in your experience, how do you justify the value? Sure. So um, go, goes back to the thing I said in the last segment, and that is that is focus focus on those you know three to four metrics you know you want to drive improvement on right throughout from from the start to the to the end of the implementation and once you're live right what are those so bring it bring the future into the present say what are what are those areas in the business we want to improve how are we going to know they're improving and how are we going to be able to measure that right so. Um, now, here's where it gets interesting and, and back to Chris and even what Abu says is, is you where where there's conflict, that's that's not going to happen, because as you point out, the finance folks are the ones best suited to calculate those ROIs, you know, for for even the potential opportunities that sales and marketing sees and maybe the finance folks don't. So if we can get them all in a room and they're all cooperative and they're open to each other's ideas. Now that's that's when the synergy happens, right? That's that's when you you start to help where where they're helping each other out, getting getting on the same page. That's where you're going to drive significant improvement. Amazing insight there. Thank you so much, Mark, for that. Go ahead, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, please. Yeah, you know I didn't perfectly answer your question. I got a story I'll share with you. It's a technical. So you said about the technical thing, and I got a great example where I, I ran a deal with a, a drone manufacturer. And you think about SolidWorks, CAD engineering, manufacturing. So for people that are in that space that Engineers are over here, items, bombs, configurations, routing, ERPs over here. They don't talk out of the box. I recommended a solution that fully integrates two-way CAD ERP, but not, not just a little bit, but invasively and actually brings, adds more real estate inside of the F&O application for ITAR compliance and so forth. And I think the point of this is you look at the price, you're like, oh my gosh, it's too expensive. However, the rationalization, and we're talking about documents and quality and all of that stuff pervasively just sinking automatically. And if we have in-flight, we're building a drone, we got updates, we got revisions, it deals with all the in-flight, everything. You break that or you just don't have that. And the articulation of how much manual work it takes to propagate change through manufacturing. And I think there's a perfect example where you got the finance guys like, I don't get it. You get the operations guys. And I, I started with that, but this is a perfect real life example. And it's, it's, it's not just a simple CAD to ERP integration. It's a very robust. But if you think about that particular scenario and trying to, to really rationalize, well, how much manual effort? It's game changing if you eliminate all that manual rework. And a lot of people have a hard time really anticipating that until they make the bad decision to get over there. So anyway, I just want to add that comment. Amazing comment there. Uh, Mark, do you have any follow-up comments on that by any chance or? Uh, no, yeah, that, I, I absolutely agree. Um, the, it's it's all about, you know, the the improvements that you're going to find and the, and the biggest ROIs are going to happen when you, you improve the flow of information, right? So um, a, absolutely, getting the, getting the right information to the right people in the right time um, you know, through the roof. You know, I, Good story. I, Good story. Go ahead, Abu. So I can add a you know comment on ROI, right? So ROI is perceived differently by different people in the organization, right? So for example, if you're a finance, you know, senior executive and you have to do board reporting, they want to run a report and they want to see all the data right away. But guess what? You don't have you don't have that data being captured. 
So when you're doing the implementation now, you're going to force the people on the front line, for example, on the production floor, to start capturing time by the minute, by the second. You want them to capture time at each and every step. And now their process has slowed down, right? So they are used to picking up the product without any time entry. I just want to ship it out. So when they are looking at it, their ROI is, you know, it has gone down, but the finance team ROI has gone up, right? So it's those kind of conflicts which become really difficult to resolve. And oftentimes the executives win, but that's where the perception of ROI also changes. Fairly complicated, right? Yeah, could not agree more. So, you know, we have been thinking a lot uh, about salespeople for sales and marketing. It's always going to be game changing. Everything is game changing. But now we have to pick on our finance people as well. So we have to make it fair to everyone. So for finance, it's very, very, very hard for them to see. And I'm, I'm going to have to agree with Chris's point. They did mention about that aspect that no, no, fine, QuickBooks, you know, no problem whatsoever. <laughs> but the operations is not able to really ship those products. So for them, it's a nightmare. And they just don't see it. So let's see. And by the way, sales and marketing, forget about it. Whatever sales and marketing is going to talk about it. Now, finance is doing literally nickel and dime for, okay, what is my ROI? (laughs) They're like, okay, you don't get it. Forget it. I'm not going to do it. Just let's move on. (laughs) And I'm going to move on to my spreadsheet. And, you know, then you'll figure it out how ROI works. (laughs) Because then you are going to get all of that admin cost. So in your experience, when you are looking at the, the ROI management of the requirements, have you seen any specific best practices where you are not doing the nickel and dime, but you still have some sort of uh, you know perspective of ROI at a broader level, as opposed to getting down into yeah. really specific? I mean, I don't think you can get down to try to calculate ROI for each and every requirement, right? It becomes, you know, it's hard, Jake, it becomes hard. <laughs> you know, that's all you'll be doing every day, right? So, I mean, it, to me, it boils down to why are you going for a new system? You know, what are the broad, high-level strategic items that decided you to adopt this new system? That could be, you know, to serve your customers better. You know, you get a customer inquiry in, and you cannot answer those customer inquiries questions right away, for example, right? Because your systems are disconnected. You have finance for QuickBooks. You have a different system for fulfilling sales. You are doing manually your inventory, right? So, that is what it boils down to, right? Or did you get a new system because your board wants to have better reporting, right? So if you want better reporting for your board, for example, you know, your financial board, then you have to capture more data. So that capturing more data will definitely mean that people at the front line have to spend more time doing administrative tasks, right? So, so you're going to lose some of that speed and efficiency over there, but that means you get better data, you know, upfront for your financial people, right? So again, it boils down to why are we going to why did we go for this implementation what are the five or six broad strategic objectives we want to achieve and is that requirement fulfilling that objective or is it not adding any value to that objective yeah i I would see okay amazing insights there thank you so much uh for that so chris i am going to come to you and i don't know if you are going to have any other stories that you might be able to share related to requirement management but one of the things that i'm probably gonna pick on what uh has mentioned about the sort of using the hybrid approach in terms of Agile versus uh, Waterfall. And Agile has very different ways of capturing the requirements. You know, you are going to have sort of the the user stories and you have the persona. Sometimes, you know, that adds a lot of colors. Uh, It gives a lot of context in terms of who's talking and what they really need. But that becomes slightly more, uh, and you mentioned that, you know what, requirements are supposed to be managed in the 
spreadsheet because that's going to be far more manageable over from the management perspective. So do you typically prefer slightly more waterfall approach where you are going to get just the description or do you like more of the user story format for the ERP? Sure. Great question. And I think as we've looked at traditionally, we've done full waterfall on our ERP projects, but the new model that we're attacking on a couple of deals is the analysis phase and even the design phase from a analysis and configuration can be waterfall. And then we roll through agile as we get into development phase operation. So they're working on a new hybrid methodology for our projects as well. But yeah, the, the analysis phase is waterfall. There's just nothing to say about that. And those workshops, and they end up yielding, again, a complete, very detailed listing of every process and scope and the scenario deviations fits what's fit, what's a gap, but that's at the end of the analysis phase. So, but it is a waterfall on the front end of the process. But now they're looking at, again, in the development cycles, we can run agile within a waterfall structure is what so let's talk about the story building, right? And and sure. when we look at the agile story, they have a lot of different contexts. It is going to have a little bit of persona and it's going to have the, the benefit that you are getting from uh, the outcome, basically, that you are getting from the story. So how do you do that in Waterfall? Do you, have you seen yourself struggling in terms of building that context in the form of story? Because the story has a little bit of meaning to it, right? And sure. that's an improved sure. way of looking at the requirements. So have you, do you experience that? Do it's, you not? It's evolving. I, my opinion is we don't have enough. I think that we do a good job of capturing it down to that level. And, um, but it's insufficient because we don't have the routings, the approvals, and we don't have all the signatures. And so what happened is there's scope creep and there's, oh, that's supposed to be there. And so you get into this subjective critique of it. And again, it's what's the single source of truth. And that's why we're going to move upstream to this platform that'll manage all that content for us. And uh, But yeah, it's worked well. We've gotten down to those those discussions and they still use DevOps for certain aspects of our projects, um, mostly on the development stuff, though, not on the um, not on the configuration of the ERP system. So. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Mark, I'm actually going to come to you. And in terms of overall, let's say if you are managing very complex projects for the requirement management, and let's say if Chris is managing his requirement in a spreadsheet, I don't know how many different spreadsheets are going to be there and what is going to be a clear way of segmenting that so that people can follow along. Okay, which is this spreadsheet? Otherwise, you may end up with thousands of spreadsheets and you have no idea which has what. So in your experience, when you look at the ERP project, do you have any specific way of segmenting how you should be segmenting these spreadsheets? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the most obvious one we've used is just by, by functional area, right? Um, you know, sales, uh, production, and then and then break them break them down into those into sub areas and subcategories. Um, you know, whether it's an item master or bomb or routings, and and then just go deep into each one of those. So, um, and and then there's there's typically some sort of mapping between, um, you know, whether uh, formal or informal between the the functional areas and the and the folks uh, the the staff and uh, and and the leadership where where you know where each functional area reports and and that can be very telling too just under understanding that and who who's actually leading each uh, each functional area who's reporting to whom um, across those areas too can be can be quite telling. Um, but uh, once once you get there again you know from from an RI uh, perspective. Um, you, drilling down into them, and you know, per what Abu said, it, it's it's kind of you know you've got you've got different different priorities with uh, with different folks, and ultimately you just have to um, you know cover cover what you can, but um, uh, be sure you know the most important one. So I I do have a, a brief story on on a recent implementation we saw where uh, and they this this company they're they're not a big company they're a smaller company but they and they had an outside consultant come in with a great great guy and they they worked through their implementation their process had great great plans did their piloting got everything done and really 
the whole approach was, you know, and I'm saying this in retrospect, looking back, the, the, the approach was that that the president in particular was was basically hands off. Right. Just, you know, he's he's good. And whatever the, the consultant and the leadership under him said was going was good. So it was going along. And and so they so they got to go live. And the, the week after go live, the um, the president realizes his inventory is, you know, millions of dollars of higher than it was previously. Well, that's because before in QuickBooks, they were managing it on uh, on a material only cost. Right. And now all of a sudden they have everything with labor and overhead involved in, embedded in it. So it comes over and yeah, the, your inventory is significantly higher. So um, luckily he, you know, didn't have cardiac arrest or anything when he saw the numbers. But uh, we, we, you know, we, we got him through it together. But uh, so they they had to they had to rework some things and, and do some education post facto. So amazing insights there, and I am actually going to touch on one of the comments that you made about hands off. And you know, uh, I see two scenarios. Again, this is going to be slightly more binary. Okay, so we see either two hands off or two hands on. <laughs> okay, it's never sort of that balance because you know if you are going to be smaller company if you have been involved with every function then you are probably going to be micromanaging everything okay and something sometimes that becomes annoying because you don't really have that perspective of getting into the detail the way the implementation is going to work and sometimes it's just so hand hands off that you are not even involved you don't even care and sometimes when you have to make these larger decisions you're like do you really understand this okay right. <laughs> And they are, they just don't care. And finally, you are going to break the implementation and then you are, uh, then they obviously are going to yell at you. So how do you manage this hands-on versus hands-off? And how do you explain their responsibility that they need to be part of the requirement management phase? Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great point. And in retrospect, you know, we uh, obviously we we should have as as the, the our consulting team should have pushed a little bit more to to get at least at least some um you know, some uh, some attention throughout the implementation process, maybe not full involvement, but at least some some uh, formal check ins like here we are. Here's what we're deciding. Here's here's our path going going forward and that sort of thing. Just so just so they're aware. And I think to a certain degree, the outside, it, it does make it difficult for the the uh, the implementor, you know, the the channel partner, for example, to uh, to do that. If there is an outside consultant, you're kind of relying on the outside consultant to have some of those. So I think in retrospect, we I, we would have pushed a little more on the outside consultant to coordinate that kind of a three way and and have those uh, have those checkpoint meetings would have prevented that type of scenario. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Mark, for that. Uh, so Ebu, I'm actually going to come to you, and I am probably going to have similar question. If you have seen any sort of best practices overall uh, in how you would segment the requirements, how you would version the documents, if there is you know one way that is going to be better than the other. Uh, overall approval accountability is going to be a big deal. I don't know how you manage that. I don't want to get into that, but maybe you can tell me a story about that as well. Um, sure. I mean, we find it's extremely hard to manage an Excel sheets, right? You can't add comments. You cannot route it. You cannot add, it becomes hard to add any diagrams, pictures. So, you know, we, we personally, as a, our organization, we have moved away from Excel. You know, we tend to do it more, um, you know, tools like Jira, for example. You know, they are much better at managing those requirements than you can have with approval workflows around that as well. Um, you know, what we also typically do is we'd share our requirement management tool access with our clients. And that way they can manage, you know, they can see those requirements in the tools. They can leave their comments in it. They can provide approval workflows uh, within those requirements as well. I mean, so the other way, again, then you also have to segment within Jira, right? So Jira or some tool like that is just a requirement capturing tool. You can do functional, you know, uh, aspects as well. You know, for example, 
your finance requirements or manufacturing. The difficulty that comes often in those aspects is purchasing requirements are going to affect finance requirements and vice versa, right? So you need a credit hold, finance requires a credit hold, for example, you know, it's going to affect how you process a sales order. So where do you place those requirements, right? Is it a sales requirement or is it a, is it a finance requirement, right? So you run into those difficulties. We try to get around it by defining more like, you know, procure to pay process, for example, and then assigning ownership on the requirements within, uh, within requirements itself. So again, you know, it's a, it's a complicated requirement management. Segmenting is always complicated. It's, you know, it's what kind of company it is, right? Some companies are only going to use one system. They do not have very complicated requirements. Then it becomes easy to do it, you know, solo segment, broad-based finance, manufacturing distribution. If they're interacting with five different systems, you know, Chris talked about CAD CAM systems integrating with ERP. Now suddenly it affects, you know, bill of materials. It's going to affect finance. It's going to affect purchasing because the engineer is going to design a bill of material, push it to the ERP. And the purchasing person is going to use that bill of material to buy raw materials for the projects, right? So where those requirements go in, right? Is it an engineering requirement or is it a purchasing requirement, right? So it's that cross-functional where requirements become cross-functional, become difficult to manage. Then you have to go down to a more process level, right? It's a procurement process. Okay, where does the procurement process start? It starts when the engineer designs a high-level bomb for a court purpose, right? So you have to look at it that way and you really have to analyze what is the end client, what is the complexity of the end client, and what makes sense for them. So that's uh, our approach. Okay, amazing insights there. So I am going to have a little comment there, uh, you know, on uh, the tool and the Jira. And and I absolutely love these tools because they are going to provide form control uh, that you are going to get in the Microsoft Office. So you are right. Uh, the challenge that I typically run into, and I don't know how complex your engagements are, in our case, we have five, 10, 15 companies as part of the same engagement. And if they all bring their own tools, sometimes it becomes a nightmare. Okay, you are doing Jira now, you want me to use Jira and now, you know, spreadsheet. So it, it becomes very challenging. So have you seen that as well? That when multiple companies, and I don't know if there is a way for, let's say you bring Jira to the equation, then can other companies get into your Jira to be able to manage? How yeah. do you overcome that barrier? So it, you know, so it depends, right? So if, it, if you're a company where 15 vendors are involved, then lar- likely that's a larger client, right? Then the client should be enforcing that tool, right? So it would be their ownership tool, and then every vendor is putting the requirements or interacting in that tool, right? So obviously, there's, you know, if I have my own tool, then I can't really, you know, giving access to 15 vendors become difficult, right? Then who owns the data post-go-live as well, right? So in that situation, it is probably best that the, the client owns the tool rather than the vendor owning the tool, right? In situations where the vendor is leading all those 15 subcontractors, right? So, you know, they're not working all independently with the end client, but we have a main master vendor, master service agreement vendor, and they are bringing in all these five or different. Then it's that master service agreement vendor who should be providing the tool and then asking their sub-vendors to do it, right? So again, you know, it depends on the end situation, really. Right? Some organizations are more advanced. They will enforce that we use their tools. Oftentimes they are not, then you bring in your, the biggest vendor brings their own tool. Yeah, the tool that we were looking at is Jama Connect. So I've heard about Jira and the guy that's in, running my service we said Jama Connect. So I don't know if you've looked at that one, Abu, but uh, but I think that our, our premise would be we'd own it, we'd license it out to the vendors, the customers, anybody participating, but we would own it. But it's a great point that should the customer own it? Great point. 
great point. And how would you overcome that? So let's say you have the Gemma Connect and then, you know, the customer needs to own. So would you transfer the, the license and the project to the customer? I, or? I'm not that far down the road. I think that if we put the platform up, we'd use to manage the projects and connect everybody that's involved in the project and coordinate them. But we would own that and they, unless they wanted to say, hey, we want to license it. But I think that's a great point, Abu. I didn't think about presenting that as a pitch to the customer to, to bring that mm-hmm. in-house. They yeah. should own it. It would benefit them to keep all of that detail and use it to manage other projects internally, frankly. I think that's a value add. So it's a great point. I guess my closing line is get a requirements management tool. Enough said. <laughs> Go Google it. They're out there. Okay. Amazing advice there. Thank you so much, uh, Chris, for the closing advice. Mark, what would be your closing advice, please? Um, uh, just to reiterate, uh, focus on those uh, top three or four objectives and goals. Where do you want to be six to nine months, even further out once you're live on the system? Um, what do you want to be able to do then uh, that you can't today? And what impact is that going to have on your business? Okay, amazing advice there. Thank you so much, Mark, for that. Uh, Abu, what would be your closing advice, please? I think you have to find a happy medium in terms of requirement gathering. I've seen clients who would not spend any time time at all on requirement gathering, and then they don't like what they see at the end. And then there are clients who would spend so much time on requirement gathering that they never go to the testing or the go life phase, right? So it's really figuring out your situation and figuring out that medium where you know where you get enough depth in the requirements so that you can go to the next phase, but not also go walk down or having a completely different end product. So. Okay, amazing advice there. So guys, that's it for today. Uh, if you joined for the f- first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation and we always have an expert panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. So make sure you are not going to miss next week's show. We are going to be here. On that note, thanks again for your insights and some goodbye. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks, everyone. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's T-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about David Dozer, head over to blazeitweb.com. It's B-L-A-Z-E-I-T-W-E-B.com. If you want to learn more about Mark Lilly, head over to lillyworks.com. It's L-I-L-L-Y-W-O-R-K-S.com. If you want to learn more about Abu Asif, head over to pennymanagement.com. It's P-A-N-N-I-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Bob Feathers, who shares his insights and lessons learned from a multi-site ERP implementation. Also, the interview with Rich Thaid, who describes his journey and the pitfalls of implementing six ERP projects throughout his career. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. 
For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.